biohacking, performance, mastery, mindset. This is a show about getting better every single day. The Hack Life with Joel Levin. Welcome to the show. What's up, guys? Happy Tuesday, and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Joel Evan. Really exciting episode this week with Kevin Longoria. He is the chief science officer at Biostrap. Biostrap is a biometric wristband device, and it's similar to like a Fitbit, except way better. I mean, this thing measures all your physical activity. It even does arterial health, heart rate variability, sleep analysis. You can get really deep into the sleep, actually, and, and be part of a sleep lab. Um, really fascinating stuff. We, we get into not only that, but we talk about, you know, the valuable data that Biostrap is collecting that they're able to actually collect compared to other wristbands out there and really what makes them unique. And we talk about, you know, how Biostrap was able to predict some of the onset of, um, you know, health deteriorating in this pandemic. I can't say the word, but the, the C, um, starts with a C and ends in virus um so we talk about that we talk about biostrap labs but they're doing really cool stuff they're actually testing a lot of devices and supplements and seeing hey do these really work do these really have the effects that we think like things like hbot chambers or saunas or like the newbie electric stim device so we get into all that if you guys want to get a biostrap you are you can go to www.biostrap.com and use the code joel evan it'll give you a 10 percent off they were kind enough to hook our audience up so go out and get one i have one it's a Amazing. I even have the chest strap, so I'm able to measure when I'm actually doing lifting or doing some type of cardio output. So it's really neat. Last but not least, guys, I do one-on-one health coaching. And my goal is to get people healthy so that they can lose weight in 2022. And so if you're interested, please reach out to me. Shoot me an email, info at joelevancoaching.com, or reach out to me on Instagram. You can DM me at joelevancoaching. I'm really dedicated to this, and I even make a guarantee with all my clients, and that is if we don't hit certain metrics, then I will continue to work with you for free. And because that's just, I'm super dedicated, super committed to seeing you reach your goals in 2022, and I'm passionate about it. I want to see you get there, and if it doesn't happen, then I'll keep working with you for free. So what do you have to lose, right? Um, Just reach out to me. I promise I won't bite, Um, and I've helped a lot of people this year, and I want to continue that. I have a goal of helping over a million people. overcome obesity and overcome it permanently. I don't want it to be a one-time thing. So if you're interested, again, reach out to me, DM me, info at Joel Evan Coaching, or shoot me a DM at uh, at Joel Evan Coaching on Instagram. And without further ado, Kevin Longoria from Biostrap. All right, I'm here with Kevin Longoria, the Chief Science Officer at Biostrap, which is a biometric wristband device that measures performance, such as physical activity, arterial health, HRV heart rate variability, sleep analysis, and vitals. Kevin, welcome to the show, brother. Thanks, man. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to get into things with you. I'm wearing, uh, anybody watching the video, I'm wearing my Biostrap right now device. He's, Kevin's got his too. Well, I, of course, we're, we're rocking this. But um, I'm curious, just before we dive into all the fascinating things, and I'm really bullish on Biostrap with all my client stuff, but what, um, how'd you get started working for these guys? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, about three years ago now, I owned and operated a company out of Scottsdale, Arizona called NeuroForce One. So we were primarily validating nervous system-based models for specific diseases, primarily in the neuromuscular and neurodegenerative disease space. 
ultimately took a bit of an athletic turn as the physiologist for some world champion MMA fighters was on Joe Rogan. Some cool stuff came out of it, but ultimately throughout the process, we started to look at, you know, what a lot of people are talking about. How do we expand our care beyond our facility walls? And, you know, wearables are kind of a, a natural option there. And so at the time I had access to a multi-million dollar laboratory, every piece of, you know, gold standard reference equipment you'd ever want. So I decided basically let's source every wearable we can think of. FDA cleared, CE medical, the you know, ones that no one's ever heard of, and basically did my own due diligence. I, I ran it through ECG testing and arterial blood gas testing and everything, and basically wanted to find the most reliable wearable device out there. Went through them all, and it's not about putting any competitors down, but as a clinician that was basically doing research and developing you know, pharmaceutical interventions and things like that, the integrity of the data is extremely important. And so at the time I'd actually given up on the project, like the wearable industry, it's, it's promising, but it's not there yet. I was scrolling through, I think it was Facebook, something like that. I got a sponsored ad from a little company out of California called Biostrap. You know, I hadn't even heard of the device, saw what they were doing around cloud processing, some of the validation, you know, and I'm cool, let's reignite it. Let's give it one more shot. As a data scientist, I studied the raw PPG. So the actual like raw waveform data and was just amazed, you know, really better than I could have expected from a wearable device, especially one at the wrist. And so completely reignite the project. I, I dove in, looked at all the data, basically refined some of the algorithms with my team and everything. Um, company, you know, Neuroforce is still going, but I knew I had to be part of Biostrap. And so about two years ago, I, I made the shift as a chief science officer. And now I, you know, dedicate my time solely on the, the clinical applications. Wow. That's huge. Okay. So that's fascinating. You just mentioned something big that I wanted to ask you is like, like you just said, there's a lot of wearables out there. There's the Whoop, there's the Oura Ring, there's the Fitbit, like big deal. So like what makes Biostrap unique or, or different? And you mentioned like that raw waveform. So maybe that's, maybe that's it. Yeah, yeah, there, there's a few aspects. Um, number one is our use of red and infrared photoplethysmography, PPG. So we're, we're starting to see some of the other wearables catch up to this, but historically they've been utilizing green light PPG. So red and infrared, while it's a little bit more expensive, it's, it's what's going to be utilized in basically every pulse oximeter, every medical device out there. The major advantages there is tissue penetration. So we're able to penetrate much deeper. This allows us to basically measure things that others are forced to estimate, get basically cleaner waveform data. Um, the other advantages is it's completely indiscriminate to things like skin tone, tattoos, arm hair, low perfusion levels. So we, we basically have one device that has been shown to collect clinically reliable data, regardless of the population, right? So that's very important to us in terms of accessibility and such. Um, next, I would say comes down to our cloud processing. Um, you know, the, the market right now, primarily the consumer wearable market, does all local processing on the device itself. So collect raw data, calculate it on your device, get rid of all of that raw data, which we really value. And the purpose there is to improve processing speed, right? It's a real world instant gratification, right? Um, so people like to see their active heart rate and what their respiratory rate is at the moment, but you lose a lot of data integrity when you do that. The way our architecture works is we collect raw data in its absolute rawest form, like XYZ Excel data that means nothing until it basically hits our cloud. This is where our pulse engine lives. And basically we go through a, a 26 step process where we do like pre-processing, beat shape analysis, beat segmentation, not to get you know too, too nerdy on it at this point, but essentially we do 26 to 29 different confidence threshold tests for each individual pulse wave. So our pulse engine will say, this is a good data segment, process it. This is not a good data segment, throw it out. 
And so while this can lead to like little gaps in your data, it's not fully continuous, not fully real time. Any data that does show up has been basically clinically validated for you. So it's extremely important, you know, both for the consumer to know I'm changing my nutrition and the data is actually real that's showing my improvement. And it's even more important for a clinician when say we're coordinating care, right? False, false positives are the biggest risk for overburdening a physician. And so it comes down to how we collect data, how we process it, but really how we respect the importance of integrity. Wow. Um, you know, and I'm just thinking too, like, and, and based on just everything you're saying, um, I would have said before talking to you, if, before getting on this interview, I would have said, yeah, okay, well, wearables, they're cool. Like they give you some good data, but like we still got a long way to go. Now, having just heard, heard everything you said, do you still feel like, yeah, there's a long way to go? Or do you think like for the data that you guys are really getting out of this, out of BioStrap, out of this wearable, like it's pretty darn good. Like, yeah, nothing can be perfect, right? I mean, but like, this is pretty, this is pretty sharp stuff. Like we're doing pretty good here. We're, we're doing really well. And I, I'll, I'll say better than most, um, but there's still a long way to go, right? Yeah. Today still, it's collecting data. But what do you do with all of that data? That's the missing link, right? Yeah. So I'm, I'm showing you your heart rate variability, which is so sensitive to so many different factors and your heart rate and your sleep and all of these types of things. So the idea is you have to put that into better context so that people can make actionable recommendations upon it. And I know we'll kind of circle back to it a little later in our conversation, but how do you actually develop a program based on this data? How does a doctor interpret a heart rate variability trend and know at this kind of threshold, it makes sense to start coordinating care. I'm not no longer overburdening the healthcare system and wasting money by getting on a call and telling you to go to the emergency room. I'm actually saving it because I'm intervening prior to something more serious happening. So it's essentially the next step is to create specificity out of a lot of generally nonspecific data, which is clinical workflows. This, this is really what I'm dedicated to as the next step. Wow. So yeah, comparing, so all, it almost kind of reminds me of like Levels Health, which is the continuous glucose monitor company. They, they're not, they don't make the glucose monitor, but they have the app. And it's like, over time, they can get a lot of good data of like, in general, this is what we're seeing. And I, I'm assuming like the same thing for Biostrap, like we can make some hypotheses based on like, if you go out of range and your HRV or heart rate or your SPO2, right? That was a big thing uh, with the C word, you know, the, the, the pandemic, right? We saw a lot of people were posting their BioStrap, um, you know, the results. And a lot of, we saw oxygen levels like SPO2, which is a really neat factor that BioStrap measures. And we can see these oxygen saturation levels dip when people got the C virus. And it was kind of like, oh, wow, there's no accident here. Like there was some pretty neat stuff. So I'm assuming that kind of, is that what you're talking about? Yeah, yeah, that, that's a great segue into our early warning system. And so the idea that the power of longitudinal data is staying away from artificial binning, right? You're, you're a healthy guy, but they'll tell you normal resting heart rate is 60 to 100 beats per minute. And if you're lower than that, because you're well trained, we start to assign risk to that in the clinical medical field, even though we know it's because of good cardiorespiratory fitness. Yeah. So ultimately, what we do is we do a baseline adjusted early warning system. So I know me, my resting heart rate is 49 plus or minus 1.2 beats per minute. So I've been collecting data for years, right? Yeah. And so anything that happens in there is totally normal. Anything beyond that, we start to assign risk to on a continuous scale. And so we aggregate that for heart rate, respiratory rate, oxygen saturation, right? We're collecting 65 metrics. And so we actually then deliver that as an early warning system. Uh, we've calibrated one specifically for respiratory illness, including the, the C word there, but not specific to it. Um, but basically, we deliver that as a stoplight warning system. You know, red, high likelihood something abnormal is going on here. If you didn't party too hard last night or you're not, you know, yeah. 
two miles high of altitude, there's probably something you want to look into. The yellow is the metaphorical, you know, not, not gray area. You're not, you know, quite there, but you're trending in the wrong direction. And green is you're good to go. And so essentially this is how you take data and you deliver it even to a consumer level stoplight warning system, right? I'm, I'm good to go today. Nothing to worry about. Red means, uh, shit, maybe I need to look into it a little bit further. So once again, create specificity. Very, very cool stuff. I'm just curious. This is just a selfish question. <laughs> I've been dying to ask you. I have, um, and I, I've chronically had, like over the last two years of just measuring a lot of my data, and even with Biostrap, I have had uh, like low HRV. It's like pretty low. Like I think in the 30s or something. Not not always that low. Sometimes it bounces back to like 60 or something. Um, and that wouldn't be indicative of like I'm stressed out. Um, you know, I'm probably I, I'm. I'm a busy health coach, entrepreneur, podcast, all these things. Maybe I'm just, I'm not sleeping. I'm not eating properly, all these things, but it's like chronically low. And I, and, and I gotta say, I feel great. I haven't been <laughs> sick in like two or three years. Like I, I feel great. Should, is that just, is that just my baseline is low or there's probably some things. And again, we don't, you know, we don't know. This is just a generality. You don't know all my data, but I'm just, I mean, do you see that in people? Like for some people, Hey, it's just this guy's HRV. Like his baseline is just in general low. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it, HRV is extremely complex, right? Okay. So are we talking about RMS, SD, SDN, LFTHF ratios, all these types yeah. of things. But ultimately, I truly believe in, in you know, bio-individualization, right? So if you are steady and your labs are fine and everything else is normal, that, that's absolutely your baseline. What I really care about, what I interpret in my clients is what's called coefficient of variation. How much do you fluctuate day to day? So if you were 30 today, 50 tomorrow, 10 the, the following, then you have a major resilience problem. There's something going on at your nervous system where it's, it can't handle whatever you're putting your body through. Yeah. So it's actually more a coffee, function coffee, of coffee, too much coffee. Yeah, too much coffee. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. The yeah. HPA stuff plays a big role there. So absolutely. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's more about how much you vary day to day when it comes to the nervous system as opposed to any absolute value. Medical field's always going to try and establish normal ranges, but they don't really talk about how much data that was trained on. And heart rate variability is still a relatively new metric, right? So we're, we're still trying to figure out what a normal range is or if there should even be one assigned to it. Very interesting. Okay, cool. Yeah, because my heart rate, like you said, is typically pretty low, 50, 49. And so I'm like, I kind of use that. I try to like look at both of those to kind of get an idea. And then like you said, I'm looking at everything, the SpO2. Okay. How was that? My respiratory rate? Like, let's look at everything together, not just HRV as one metric. So kind of like with BioStrap, having that dashboard screen is kind of really nice to be able to kind of get all that data at once. Right. Yeah. And then putting into things like the recovery scores as well, which is like making sense of a lot of lot of crazy data but it's like what is your physiologic readiness for adaptation what's your risk of injury in a single zero to 100 so goal is to not lose the integrity of the data through gamification because you know some companies do that through certain scoring algorithms and such but helping people make decisions based on that data as well yeah so how how is the average person like you know um where do you see most people using this for we you and i are nerding out here where we love the biostrap but like where do you see like most people are what are they using Biostrap for typically? Like, what's the biggest thing? Is it sleep? Is it, yeah, what are, what are you seeing just across the board typically? And, and why should someone? Yeah, um, I, I would say our, our major strength, like competitive advantages is in sleep. And so extremely important, I would say completely like under-respected in, in clinical, athletic, everything in between. Um, so we're, we're really well positioned today for sleep, but we're primarily being utilized in decentralized clinical trials. So COVID you know, escalated that as well, but the idea of collecting data remotely in a real world is very interesting, but there hasn't been a tool to do that reliably enough. 
Um, the, the way I see everything moving is primarily through remote physiologic monitoring. So not, you know, we want to empower the user with their data, get them more engaged with their health. The idea is that a trained professional is the one monitoring it, whether that be the fitness professional monitoring their client or the doctor monitoring their patient, because it's, it, there's a steep learning curve. I read, do literature on, on this stuff all day, every day. And I still couldn't tell you exactly what heart rate variability is, does, measures, is affected yeah. by, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so the, yeah, the idea is to provide the right data to the right people at the right time so that we can basically make decisions properly. That's, that's ultimately where I see it moving and we're seeing kind of that shift in, you know, maybe clinical medicine as well, telemed and RPM and everything. Yeah, very, very neat. You know, and I, you just mentioned something. So I'm just curious, like as a coach, as a health coach, like I would love to like offer this as part of just my coaching and some of the clients that I work with when it comes to weight loss or yeah, I mean, let's just say you like weight loss. I mean, how do you, are you seeing a lot of coaches in the industry, like using with their clients? And is there a way that I can help support them through that? Or if I were to do that, do, the, do you guys assign somebody to, I'm just curious, how does that work? Yeah. Yeah. We're, we do project management and we, we kind of support you throughout that process, but you know, there's, there's de- different ways to engage with wearables in the fitness spectrum. Um, number one, if you're, you know, perhaps more engaged with the data and everything, it's about individualized data-driven program development. Right. So we establish a baseline phase. We understand deficiencies, strengths relative to a population or a competitive group. We develop interventions to target deficiencies, keep people good at what they're good at. And so now we're making, you know, maybe nutritional recommendations based on deficiencies that we know can be targeted. And, and so there's there's that component. Um, and then there's the actually quantifying our success. Right. You and I like to make data driven decisions, but we also know human physiology is extremely complex. How do we make sure it's working? We constantly check our work. We see, is it delivering the intended effect? Is it delivering some sort of maladaptive effect? Can I dynamically adjust this to avoid plateaus or keep people you know, moving in the right direction? Yeah. And so it's great for the program development, ongoing monitoring at a, at a user level. But what I really love, you know, what BioShep is doing in wearables in general is once again, the, the engagement side of things, right? Weight loss, absolutely. But you know, there, there's this misconception that I'm, I'm unhealthy because, or I'm overweight because I'm unhealthy. And really it's you're unhealthy or sorry, you're, you're over unhealthy because you're overweight when really you're overweight because you're unhealthy. You should be targeting your health, not your, your weight necessarily. Yes. And so we developed the right programs. And sometimes that little number on the scale is not the best reinforcement tool, right? A lot of times when I'm starting to program hydration, number one, well, water weighs something, right? And so it's not abnormal for you to gain a little weight before you start to lose it, or perhaps have a little Herx reaction if you're really toxic, right? And so sometimes you have to get through that phase. And so you need to keep people motivated. You need to show the progress throughout it. And so this is where data can really come in, right? Maybe your, your scale weight isn't moving quite yet, but look at your arterial health score, right? The stuff that really matters. This will show better directionality through lifestyle modification. And so you're able to basically look at the data, show them they are in fact improving and keep them motivated in, in an ideal world. Oh, that, okay. You hit on, you, you nailed it. I love that you said that brother. It's not about the numbers on the scale always. It's about getting you healthy. And then the byproduct is weight loss. Um, and yeah, that's so great. I've, I've worked with so many clients too, where it's like maybe the pounds didn't shift, but they fit, they went from a size seven to size two. It's like, that's a win. Like we're, we're, we're getting too lost in the numbers, right? Um, so very cool stuff. You mentioned heart health feature. Can you talk about that? Cause, and you kind of touched a little bit on the nutrition program. I'm just curious, like, how does this new heart health feature that you're talking about work? I think that's fascinating um, that you guys can even measure arterial health. We know that like one of the 
one of the biggest drivers of just inflammation and aging and um, one of the top diseases out there is what do we see? Diabetes, heart disease, high cholesterol, blood pressure, all those always in the top like 10, right? Mm -hmm. So you guys are doing some pretty neat stuff. Yeah. Can you talk about that? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So get a little nerdy here for a sec, but essentially we, we take all of this raw data. We kind of reconstruct a waveform in the cloud to make it, it looks kind of like an EKG waveform. People will be more familiar with than a PPG, but similar shape, but like a very pronounced uh, morphology or kind of, you know, kind of curves to it, if you will. And so basically what we're leaning on a, a large study done a few years back by Takazawa. And essentially what they looked at is PPG morphology. You can basically interpret the shape of that beat and understand that it declines very predictably with age. And so by doing what's called second derivative waveform analysis, we can deduce your arterial and your peripheral elasticity. So when we're young, we're active, we're healthy, we tend to have very flexible, very supple arteries that are very, you know, quick to respond to stressors, for example, like vasodilatory, you know, responses and such. As we age, we make poor lifestyle choices, we're sedentary, our arteries tend to harden over time, right? Arterial stiffness. And so we can actually quantify a, a proxy for this through the actual PPG shape itself. And so we take arterial and peripheral elasticity to measures of our heart health. We throw those on a zero to 100 scale to basically show directionality. If you're drinking more water, you're exercising, you're following a proper nutrition program, in general, these will respond you know, positively to this type of intervention. It's still rather complex. And so what Takazawa did is basically transform that into an equivalent arterial age. Because it predicts uh, declines so predictably with age, they could basically do an assessment and say, here's your PPG waveform, your 40, your arteries are testing at that of a 35-year-old or a 45-year-old, right? This is great for lifestyle, for motivation, progress tracking and everything. We've done a lot of internal analysis and we, we found flaws in that. I mean, you know, we could basically tell you, you're 35 plus or minus 12 years, but that's not great, right? Yeah. And so what, what, what we're focusing on right now is an arterial health score. And it basically throws you on a normal curve and basically says relative to your population, what percentile of arterial health are you in? And we found this to be much more reliable and not as misleading as trying to assign a, call it biological age to your arteries based on a two minute assessment. And so that, that's pretty much the, the Heart health, it's, it's all about more complex measures from PPG that really reflect your you know, risk of cardiovascular disease and these other types of metrics, which are, they're highly correlated. But. That's fascinating because if you, even just to put someone on some kind of nutritional program or after three months, it'd be really interesting to see or someone who's pre-diabetic and then they go through like a program with me or something that somebody else has and then be able to quantify it and see it, like see the difference. Like that's some yeah. that's cool stuff. Yeah, a little, a little tangential, but uh, uh, we, we did a study with uh, the C word and, and actually found I had a hypothesis, you know, Brady Kinnan hypothesis confirms it's more of like a vascular type of, you know, manifestation and everything. Yeah. And so it's like, well, we're, we're measuring arterial health. Let's see what happens here. And I thought for sure, you know, arterial elasticity would tank. And that might be one of the earlier, you know, physiologic metrics that may precede respiratory rate and oxygen saturation dips and things like that. And I was completely wrong. It, it spiked very, very rapidly. It did precede all of these other physiologic metrics, but arterial elasticity was the first and most pronounced change that uh, was approximately 1.7 days prior to symptom onset that happened every single time in every, every patient that we studied. And so it's like uh, extremely, but that's where, once again, why would your arterial elasticity increase in response to respiratory illness? It's a, a stress response, essentially. Yeah. So it's counterintuitive, but it, it's, once again, contextualizing the data, understanding that 
it's not always, you know, higher is better type of thing. It's any rapid change is generally indicative of something going on. Yeah, really neat. I, I wanted to ask you, because when we were talking about just some of the, how coaches can, you know, work with individuals and, and kind of use this, this tech, this, these biometrics and some of the data, are you seeing um, a lot of professional athletes or like MMA fighters? You know, you mentioned that's your old stomping ground. Like, do you see a lot of like trainers and, and you know, folks using that with their athletes? Yeah, definitely at the, the higher levels for sure. Um, the, the problem that I see with what we try to do is, is just very individualized, right? So this doesn't always translate to team sports very well. Like this small group of people had the wrong habits last evening. They slept like shit. They have poor recovery. And so we're going to give them the day off because of it. Well, I could justify, you know, why that would be important to prevent injuries and such. It's generally not widely adopted yet. So not, not so much in team sports. Um, what I did with my MMA athletes, I was, you know, never managing more than two or three athletes at a time, full on, basically going to their house every morning to cook their food, cut it up for them and everything like that level of care. This is where like, you can really, you know, harness the power of the data. Um, I think there's just still a lot of learning that needs to be done in the fitness industry. And that's primarily around the importance of sleep and recovery, yeah. right? The, the stressor phase, they're pretty damn good at applying that, right? When you rip your muscles apart, that, that's all the manly stuff. But understanding that the physiologic uh, adaptations that we seek, hypertrophy and all of these types of things occur during phases of sleep and recovery. So we should train to sleep and recover better as opposed to vice versa. But that's not the uh, easiest pill for people to swallow that have been doing this for 20 plus years, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, especially if you're fed, you know, I think the fitness industry, we've been fed um, these ideas for so long. And so it's hard to it's hard to break away from that. It's hard to break away what we think we know. So, yeah. Um, what about uh, you guys have the BioStrap Labs and you do a really uh, great job and you, I see it all the time. I get the emails and you, you're working with a lot of like cool bio, what I call like biohacking uh, tech out there, like bio, I'm sorry, BrainTap, which is a um, like binaural beat um, headset. I just interviewed Dr. Porter on my podcast a couple ago. Fascinating stuff. I just ordered one. I'm, I can't wait to see what, what that's going to do. Um, BioLite, which is like red light therapy. And then, of course, our good friends at NewFit with the newbie, the electric stim device. But, yeah, can you kind of just talk about like uh, any, you know, what BioStrap Labs is all about and like what you guys are, are doing there? Yeah, yeah. So it's our contract research division. The goal here is, is primarily to provide a validation opportunities to maybe earlier stage companies that, that have a really amazing product, but maybe they can't afford a half million dollar university research study that'll take two to three years to get your results, right? And so we're, we're trying to, one, help consumers make better decisions, because if you're looking at a shelf of three products and one of them has validation, you know, you, you're making a better decision because there's actually a study to back up those claims. And then, you know, on the other end of it, the, these companies need to understand how their products are actually working, the physiological effects that it's eliciting. And so in a nutshell, a company like will take um, uh, BioLite, for example, comes to us and they, they come with their hypothesis. And so we'll develop then a study protocol out of that. We have thousands of users that have basically opted in to perform these types of studies. They say, we're more than happy to give you our de-identified data for the last several years and ongoing in exchange for, you know, free BioLite for, you know, an extended period or whatever like that. So recruitment is made extremely simple because we already have the user base and a very diverse user base. I can go in and I can say, I want users that are 25 to 34 years old that take more than 10,000 steps per day and sleep less than seven hours. Like I can get hyper-defined on the population that you're trying to target. 
Um, we develop, you know, a, a baseline phase. So we want to understand where they're starting from. Intervention phase, you know, largely leaning on the product manufacturer to define usage criteria and things like that. And then a washout phase as well. And so the, the primary categories that we study there are product efficacy. Did it actually do what they say it's doing? If so, to what degree, right? What's kind of the effect size of the, the intervention there? Uh, we also look at, you know, quote unquote safety. We primarily look at withdrawal effect. So even if it elicited an amazing response while you were using it, did you immediately return to baseline after you stopped or rebound to an even worse state? Like, are you developing some sort of reliance on the technology? Then we look, we look at usability. This is generally provided back to the, the manufacturer. You told people to do it for 50 minutes twice a day. They're not doing that, man. So like you need to refine what you're telling people to do, although that might be the ideal protocol. If nobody does it, it's not really useful, right? And then last but not least is more of like a user satisfaction feedback type of thing as well. So we, we conduct you know, everything from recruitment, protocol development, analysis, publication for a very low cost and give them basically a, a market differentiator while you know, helping consumers understand what's that, what, what these products are actually doing. That is so neat. I mean, and I don't want to put you on the spot here, but I'm just curious, was there any, um, was there any tech or any gear that, that came through Biostrap Labs that after you saw the data and the results that you were like, oh, I got to get me one of these or just like, like, you know what, like, that's, that's some, that's hard to ignore. Like that is some good stuff. That's some good tech right there. Yeah. You know, um, most of them that you've seen, we, we've, I'd say we're, we're very selective of who we choose. If they're making crazy claims, we usually won't even take their money because we, we know we won't prove it. Yeah. And that, that's not the name of the game to disprove. It's to basically prove those that are, that we really believe in. Yeah. Um, I would say out of them, I've always been a big fan of uh, what, what they're doing over at new fit and everything. Yeah. So huge believer. They're pretty amazing results that we saw. Um, out of all of them that I would say surprised me the most was probably the soft shell hyperbaric chambers that we've evaluated. Oh, okay. So yeah, yeah, we, we um, haven't published that one quite yet, but essentially, you know, uh, really good research around specific conditions and, you know, all of these types of things. But in terms of just general athletic recovery and such, I was, I was pretty amazed in terms of the, you know, changes in heart rate variability and some other factors. The, the most recent one, I would say, blew my mind as well. And that's higher dose, the, the sauna yeah, blanket. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. And so 50 minutes prior to bed, they basically ask you to zip up in kind of a, you know, sleeping bag type of contraption. It's infrared and, and sauna, basically. And so, you know, I understand physiology, what happens to you during that session. And so I was maybe a little skeptical about, you know, your sleep immediately following. The, these results are soon to be published. I won't get too ahead of myself, but... Uh, you know, pretty drastic decreases in nocturnal resting heart rate following the session, huge increase in heart rate variability, a shift towards parasympathetic recovery, like the LF to HF ratios. So, you know, stay tuned for that publication, but it, it was one that I thought they were maybe marketing a little boldly and yeah. the, the, the proof held up. It was, it was very impressive. Wow. That's fascinating. Okay. I got to check that out. I have a Therosage sauna that I really like and, um, I remember I did, I, this is just one time I did a sauna session later in the day and it wasn't 50 minutes before dead bed, but when I was tracking my HRV and everything through Biostrap, um, yeah, I was a little restless that night, which I was surprised. I thought it was actually going to be, would help me. And so I, I've shifted all my sauna work to the, the front end of the day, but that's interesting. I'm gonna have to try that again and just kind of get a better baseline and, and see if that, see what changes occur. That's really interesting to know. Yeah, absolutely. All right. You mentioned new fit. 
I am a new fit practitioner uh, and I love the newbie and stuff. I just want to talk about that briefly and you can kind of maybe tell the good folks kind of what, what you guys were looking for and, and what were you, what were you looking to prove? Right. I just want to tell everybody what I did recently is I woke up with one of those trashed HRV scores. I want to say it was like a 38 or something crazy. Right. And so I was like, I'm going to throw on with as in, there's a device. It's an electric stim device using a DC current. And there's a, there's a technique we use. It's called a master reset. And it helps put the body in a parasympathetic state and uh, puts the nervous system in this parasympathetic state, which we know is the body can, that's the only way the body can actually heal. So anyways, I did it for about 20 minutes. I put the electrodes on the back of my neck and then the electrodes on my, my feet. And I ran current for like 20 minutes. Um, I just, when I took it off and I did my, my biostrap measurements, my HRV shot up to 80. I think it was 80. It was, it was incredible. I was like, whoa, I was not expecting that. I thought it was just going to jump up a little bit, but it like doubled. So, um, yeah, I don't know what, I don't know what you guys actually did. I'm curious, like, what were you guys looking to measure? Was it HRV or yeah, or just, yeah, yeah, we, we, we always go in with the hypothesis, but we actually, you know, collect 65 plus metrics. So we look at all of them. Right. And so with this specifically, we were targeting patients with uh, musculoskeletal pain above a certain threshold. I believe, you know, the seven out of 10 or something like that. Um, primarily looking at the acute effects. So we would do a quick, you know, five minute report immediately before and after their session. Um, I don't believe it was the master reset. It's been you know, about a year since we did this study. Um, so we looked at the acute effects and to confirm what you said, you know, immediate, very drastic increases in things like heart rate variability, a shift towards, you know, higher frequency bandwidths and such. So we knew there was an, an immediate effect and that's, you, know, you feel it, it's kind of obvious there. Um, what we also saw was pretty profound improvements in sleep quality, which is very important um, tangential, but you know, the bi-directional relationship between sleep and pain, we're actually seeing that poor sleep is a better predictor of pain than vice versa. So major thing in pain should be treating sleep, right? And so we found amazing improvements in sleep latency, how long it was taking somebody to fall asleep, sleep efficiency, which is primarily latency plus number and duration of awakenings, and significantly greater deep sleep. And this is, you know, when growth hormones produce and we're basically repairing a lot of the physiologic damage and everything. And so everything, you know, basically leaned towards it being a pretty amazing tool for recovery and pain and all of these things confirms what we already know, right? But yeah. it's always good to have the data. Um, we found, you know, small shortcomings in the study, such as we probably should have spread the intervention phase out a little bit longer. I think we did eight sessions over 30 days. And, you know, a lot of other things like arterial elasticity and the arterial health score were trending towards statistical significance, but they didn't quite get there. And so we've always, you know, uh, shout out to Garrett and Ramona, by the way. Um, we've always talked about, you know, doing a follow-up bigger study with a bigger population and everything as well. But what we found was, you know, just amazing preliminary data. That is, that's fascinating. I really love too, Kevin, like just the, um, you can tell, just like listen to you talk, like the care and the, all the, the metrics and you're very careful at, you're, you're, you know, you're not just trying to pump up these companies. Like you, you guys really like do a great job of like measuring everything and ruling things out. And even like you said at the end, like, Hey, there were some things we could have done better. Like, I just, I love the transparency and just how thoughtful you guys are about your studies. It's really nice. Thanks, man. No, I, I do appreciate that. And it's, you know, it's adhering to the scientific method and we actually make everybody sign a contract before we'll take their money and say, we're, we're not guaranteeing your, your results. Um, we, we don't necessarily publish the bad results. That is, you know, a little outside of the scientific method, but if something just absolutely sucks and doesn't work, we don't necessarily go tell the world about that. So th there's been a handful of those that I 
wish I could say don't spend your money on that. But, yeah. you know, we, we do try and balance out the business and the science a little bit, but we're never going to make a claim that hasn't been validated. Yeah, very cool. And that's great that people know if they're a consumer of Biostrap, they know what they're getting, that this is a this is a solid company and, and good foundation. So I love that. Um, any other um, any other upcoming or I know you mentioned higher dose, but any other upcoming Biostrap lab studies that you guys are looking at or anything else you can share? That's I don't know. Yeah, I mean, so a few things that are, that are, you know, I am really happy about that we're working on right now. Um, wrote a grant, got picked up by the National Institute of Minority Health and Health Disparities. So we're doing this, this very large study, primarily in kind of communities with diminished access to healthcare. And so we're really testing out biostraps like usability, wear, also some, some, you know, health biometrics and everything in these communities. And to me, this, this is so awesome because this to me is what wearable technology, like it's best home in our society is to provide data to people that may not otherwise have access to data, right? And so digital technology is supposed to improve accessibility, cost of care, efficiency, outcomes, all these things. And, and I can argue it's done very little of that. So this to me was a big step towards improving accessibility for a, such a large organization to say, you know, best value analysis and most advantageous to the government when they compare to every single technology you can think of. Like that's when I definitely, you know, put a feather on the cat for them. I'm really pleased with that one probably a more sexy one that, that people care about more is we're um, working on career astronaut training. And so we all know the yeah commercial space industry is taking off, right? And so they have plans to have millions of people on space and no longer is it all these rocket scientists that are going to go to space. But ultimately, you know, we need everybody. We need manual laborers and things like that. And so there's this initiative. I, I can't really talk about the company, but um, doing research in 128 countries right now of people that want to be a career astronaut. So we're studying their habits, their sleep patterns, how they perform on various different you know, physical tests and sending them to you know, the depths of the ocean for scuba diving missions and the top of the Himalayas for you know, crazy missions of low oxygen. And you know, we're, we're really trying to understand how do you like digitally phenotype these people that are not going to crumble under the stresses of space and, and all these types of things ultimately working towards, you know, idealistic that we would actually be utilized in space. And so you track changes in oxygen saturation, arterial health that no one really knows yet, right? What happens in these microgravity environments? We know your heart shrinks, but what does that do, right? And so, you know, it, it's probably once again, more, more of the sexy work that'll be really exciting 20 years from right now, but it's not the, <laughs> not the uh, immediate gratification type of study either. Yeah, 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 very neat. You know, one last thing I wanted to ask you is because we, we touched on a lot on sleep and I love that you mentioned that I, I and I didn't even really go that deep into it. I just kind of glossed over it, like, yeah, sleep, but it is like one of the most important things. And, and it was just fascinating listening to you say like, yeah, if you probably like if we could dial that in for you, you have so many good, uh, better health results. Um, I, there's something with Biostrap that you guys do. You have a sleep lab, which is actually different than just the, like I can get normal sleep data from you guys every night, but then there's also a sleep lab. Can you just kind of touch on like what the difference and what people can expect and why they may want to join the sleep labs um, program? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So one, uh, we increase the frequency of biometric collection. So we go from every five minutes or 10 minutes to every two minutes. And so say you have sleep apnea, right? We need to be a little bit more precise on your hypoxic events. Um, we also give you the contributing factors to your sleep score, so you can better understand how different habits are specifically affecting your sleep, which is really important. Um, one of our you know, more recent improvements to that as well is the addition of a circadian interventions. 
So this requires a minimum 15 days of sleep. For most people, it's going to be about 20 to 25. But basically, over that time period, we understand what, you know, what's your ideal circadian, your chronobiology, like what time should you actually go to sleep? What time should you wake up? How much time should you spend in bed, which is different than the amount of time of sleep, right? So after call it 20 days or so, we start to give you your ideal circadian rhythm. We tell you exactly how much you need to be sleeping as a function of optimal biometrics, recovery, health, everything. Then to hold you accountable, we do sleep accounting, which is basically your sleep bank, right? And so if we tell you to sleep seven hours and you sleep six, we give you one hour of debt. And so the research supports a basically three-day trailing. If you go more than two hours of sleep debt, this is generally where you start to have, you know, impediments in your central nervous system and balance and, you know, reaction time and these types of things. And so you never want to go greater than two hours of sleep debt, but you also don't want to go over two hours of, of sleep excess because we're actually pinpointing your precise sleep, sleep needs. And so to me, the, a big part of that is, you know, once again, getting away from all these normal ranges. National Sleep Foundation, one of my favorite foundations out there, but it's still seven to nine hours, right? And yeah. that's, a, that's a big variance if you ask me, <laughs> right? Most, most people struggle to get seven. And so to remove some of that ambiguity and really show you how much sleep you actually need as well as the ideal schedule. Now this to me is one of my, what I call the, the, the low hanging fruit interventions. It, it costs you absolutely nothing, but it's one of the most impactful things you can do to your health is just start to follow that circadian rhythm. Couldn't agree more. And I'm, I'm currently doing the sleep, the sleep lab. So I'm excited to kind of see what that looks like. I, I always, you know, and Michael Bruce, the, the power of when he talks about these chronobiologies and different chronotypes. And so this is very helpful though, for people to like really dial it in. I always go back and forth. Like, is there really these chronotypes or I always think about like Ayurvedic principles and just like, no, you, when the sun goes down, you need to go to bed. Like, so I'm just, it'll be really interesting to see. And what I'll also, I'm thinking about how, cause I, you know, I used to be a first responder, you know, I did that for 14 years. And as you know, first responders, we do a lot of shift work. And so I'm thinking, man, this would be really neat to, to see for them. I mean, that'd be huge, very impactful, I think. Yeah, I actually uh, proposed a large study to a major health system that I, that I won't name, but basically tried to make the case, let's let's study the shift work because there's all these problems with you know burnout and the, the great exit and everything right now. Healthcare, they're getting overworked, right? They're, they're leaving their, their jobs. And so like, what if we could work towards, you know, instead of these 12 hour shifts that flip flop every other day, a little bit more consistency in the schedule and such. And it was, it was too disruptive. They said, even if we prove it, we can't implement it. So why are we going to tell people what's wrong with them? And so <laughs> that, that, that's a lot of resistance that unfortunately we see. It's like uh, pitching to a MLB baseball team. Like let's study how, you know, 170 games per year and all the constant travel, the effect that you're having on people's longevity and their health. And they're like, why the hell would we do that? And so, like, unless you're, you're actually willing to change, sometimes they don't want to do the research. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, well, great stuff. You know, um, I want to jump onto some lightning round questions, but I'm curious, anything that I, that I didn't ask you that you wish I had? No, no, I think that was, that was pretty thorough. I, I appreciate it. <laughs> I appreciate you, man. This was great. Um, Seriously, I'm just blown away by the tech and it just, it makes me want to like use it more because sometimes I'll take the strap, I'll take my strap off. I use it a lot of times to track certain workouts and then sleep and then I'll forget. And now I'm just like, oh, I, can, I can't wait to like be really consistent with it. So um, thank you. All right. You ready? Let's do it. All right. If the old you could see the new you, what would the new you say? Uh, I guess, you know, 
the, the risks will pay off essentially. I, I, you know, ultimately it was planning on going to medical school, got through the MCATs, finally got accepted and decided to enter the entrepreneurial world. And it was a big risk. And I, you know, frankly, always planned on circling back. And, and I'm going to be honest, I don't plan on circling back now. And I'm, I'm so glad I did. And I, I feel like I can do, do a lot of good in the role I'm in today. I love that, man. What a, that's amazing. Thank you. Um, I, uh, maybe this ties into it. My next question is going to be, you know, what are some choices that you made that you think made you who you are today? Um, a, a major kind of inflection point for me was actually, I was, I was going to be a psychiatrist was kind of the plan there. And so I was, you know, volunteering a lot, looking behavioral health home, psychotropics, SSRIs, and then all this amazing research started to come out about microbiome based approaches and basically blowing away everything that we had ever done, learned and everything in my training. And so that to me was like one of the, the biggest things that changed, like there's, there's just a better way. And so that's kind of, you know, one of the things that changed for me. Yeah. You know, I'm just curious. Um, have you guys done anything with plant medicine or is that on the rise? Are you, do you plan on doing any studies or has anybody asked you? It's just amazing. I talked to so many, um, not even just biohackers. Cause I hate to like throw it at that people that just like want to hack, 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 but just some like really, you know, there's some really, um, just amazing thought leaders out there that have really credited plant medicine to really, um, helping them out. Any, I mean, I know that's contra maybe controversial, but I don't know. I'm just wondering is has that uh, approach for Bioshock at all? <laughs> no, no one's come to us yet. I'm, I think Bioshock Labs is meant to study the controversial products, right? Like, let's put it to the test and add some proof to it. Um, so no, not yet. But if anyone's listening and, and is interested, I, I'll take that on all day where, where a lot of universities may not want to back a product if it's, you know, not Western medicine per se. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm all for it. If it works, I'll be the first one on the podcast to talk about it. <laughs> yeah. You, you know what? On that note, too, you just mentioned, like, were there any supplements or anything that has any do supplement companies come to you guys a lot as well? And are you able to quantify anything from that? Like, I don't know. I'm just thinking like melatonin or something or I don't know. Yeah. Magnesium product. We're, we're actually doing one um, with a major magnesium provider right now. So um, just in the baseline phase, nothing to talk about on that one quite yet. Um, no, no other major supplements. I'm, I'm really interested in, I actually wanted to do like a large scale head to head on, on CBD products and everything, you know, kind of see who's is bullshit and who's is actually working. So I'm, I'm a big believer, but I've also tested a few dozen that didn't do anything. So, you know, I, I'd love to, you know, really do more of a head to head on, on some of these products as well. <laughs> awesome. Um, you know, who's, uh, you guys are just, you guys are such a force in the wellness world. I'm just curious, is there anybody that, you know, someone that inspires you in that health and wellness world, or maybe it doesn't have to be the health and wellness world, but yeah, anybody that you, you follow or inspires you? Uh, you know, I don't really do much outside of the, the research world. I'm a big fan of Dr. Shauna Halson over at Australian Catholic University doing some really amazing sleep research. Um, a colleague, friend, uh, Dr. Ali Nasser over at UCLA Medicine. He's the director of structural and interventional cardiology. You know, always learn something every time I talk to him. Um, beyond that, maybe not like the, the big names that people are used to. Um, I, I'd say one of my claims to fames is on the Joe Rogan podcast, I sat in the same chair as Elon Musk exactly one week after. So I, I thought that was pretty cool. But other than that. <laughs> you were trying to like make sure like maybe like some of his dead skin or something came out. You're like, ah, I'm in the yeah. same, this is the same world, you know, that he sat in. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. This is going to be a good one then for you. Any books, you know, obviously you're a voracious reader and maybe it's just research and papers, but any books that... Uh, I'm a big reader. Did any books that had like a tremendous impact on your life or just that you would recommend someone go out and read? 
You know, to be honest, it's been a long time since I actually read a book. I am so overwhelmed with with research and everything. So I could name dozens of white papers and, you know, meta-analyses and things like that. But uh, it's been a long time. That actually sounds pretty refreshing. So I just had another baby two months ago. So I'll have to plan that a few months out. But no, unfortunately not. If you have any recommendations, I, I, I'd love to. Uh, what am I reading right now? I'm always reading like three three or four different books. It's not because I'm like super smart. I just like to kind of go be back and forth between them all. So uh, I'm reading Dr. Ba- David Perlmutter's new book, Uric Acid. That one's pretty fascinating, which might tie in with some stuff that Biostrap's doing. But yeah, um, I'll have to think of some other. Garrett, Garrett sent me a copy of his book and signed it. And I, I'm going to tell you, Garrett, I haven't read it yet. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know what? The thing about Garrett's book, it's amazing, but you probably almost by working with him, like, you know, all you know the book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, any last couple of questions, we'll wrap it up. Any rituals or uh, hacks or like practices or anything that you get, you do on a regular basis? You know, some people do gratitude journaling or stuff like that, but what about you? Anything? Um, uh, first thing I do each and every day is I go for a long run. Um, I, I don't have much time to myself anymore. So I go do a nice outdoor run about three to five miles every morning at 4.30 AM. And that, that's my, my time to me where I reset my mind you know, love the family, got to get away from them a little bit. And so that, that to me, I've realized that the days I do that versus the days I don't, you know, from mood to mental clarity to energy levels, night and day difference. Um, big thing, you know, get, get some catharsis out first thing in the morning for sure. Um, I, I do quite a bit of grounding, not quite as much as I used to anymore, but I, I definitely like to feel my surroundings. So take the shoes off, go walk in the backyard and some grass for a little bit. And then beyond that, I'm just, you know, really strict on my, my nutrition, but I wouldn't call that necessarily a ritual as just much as, you know, I, I know what I should and should not put in my body. And I try to be conscious of what I am. I love that. It's, it's just, it's one of your higher values and that's what, absolutely. Yeah. It's beautiful. <laughs> oh man. Uh, Kevin, you know, last but not least, like where can people find you and the good, good folks at Biostrap? Yeah, yeah, we actually just launched a new website, biostrap.com. Um, we're on Instagram, Facebook, pretty much everything. I don't, I don't lead that department, but I believe it's all just at Biostrap. So check us out there. If anybody wants to reach out to me, Kevin at biostrap.com, more than happy to answer any questions you may have. Um, keep your eye out for some really exciting stuff to come. We're uh, you know, a little early to drip it, but in the next few months, we're going to have some amazing news to share. Awesome stuff. Thanks, brother. Appreciate you. Cool. Thanks, y'all. All right, that's it for today, folks. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Hack Life. And if you did, please share this episode on social media and then tag me at Joel Levin Coaching. And don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes and give us a five-star rating so that you don't miss any other great episodes. We can only spread our message when you share this knowledge with others that need it. Thanks a ton, guys, for the support. 